I'm Adam Brewer, lead pastor of Glory Fellowship Baptist Church in Jasper, Alabama. We want to thank you for joining us today. As you listen to this podcast, our hope is that you are challenged and encouraged by God's Word. We know that God's Word gives life, and our hope is that you experience God's abundant life as you listen today. That is a good praise of the Lord. He is a good, good Father, and He is perfect. That's the very definition of praise. So if you'll notice, I'm not Adam. Uh, and he has been on a much-needed, a much-deserved vacation this week, and so uh, I'm glad to have the opportunity to fill in for him this morning. Uh, I do want to take a moment. I know he's listening this morning, so I'm going to talk about that rascal for just a second, but uh, we, we have a very special relationship here. I, I talk with my friends in ministry, and I'm, I'm so thankful that he and Randy and I are able to um, share this life together here and to be able to serve you together because uh, what we have together and the, the commitment we have and the camaraderie we have and Tammy being here with us is, uh, is unique and I'm so thankful for him and um, I'm, we, we all love our pastor very much and I'm thankful he got an opportunity to get some rest this week. Um, we're going to be in the scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, um, Ephesians chapter 2 starting in verse 1. And we'll read that in just a moment, but before I get started, I want to uh, say that we're going to try to do two things today. The first one being that um, I'm going to try to explain that uh, there is one gospel, but it can be explained in many different ways, that uh, it's the same gospel, and I'm going to take us through a little bit of Acts here in a moment to show us how that started from the very beginning. Uh, But then the second thing is we're going to look at one unique way that uh, Paul explained the gospel in a way that actually is a large part of my personal testimony, the way that the gospel was explained to me so that I understood it clearly for the first time at 19 years old. So we're going to try to do those two of those things this morning. But we'll, uh, if you'll stand for the reading of God's word, we're going to be in Ephesians 2, cha- uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, if I can get through myself. All right, starting in verse 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you, were follow, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed to us in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, So that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and its truth. We know that it has power to convict our hearts, and we just pray that your spirit works this morning for it to do so, so that we can better serve you and for some of us to learn, understand the gospel maybe for the first time this morning. So do your work, and we'll uh, help us to listen into it and be attentive. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all can be seated. So uh, the gospel, like I was saying, is, is one message, okay? We, we understand that God created us, and by our selfish nature, 
uh, we sinned against him, we rebelled against him, and because of that, we're destined to be judged and separated with him forever. Except God loved us so much that he didn't want that. He sent his son to, to carry our sins to the cross so that we no longer have to be separated from him, that we can be reconciled to a relationship with a God who loves us. And so that's the general sen sense of the gospel, okay? There, uh, you know, no matter how it gets told to you, that's pretty much the premise that you need to get back to. But what is amazing to me is that because God knows me so well, he knows me as an, event, as an individual. The scripture tells me in Psalm 139 that he's familiar with all of my ways. He knows all the words that are going to be on my tongue before they even get there. He knows uh, that all of my days have been written in his book before any of them came to be. God knows me personally, individually. And because of that, he knew that there was an exact way that I needed to hear the gospel. That because of the way that I have lived and been raised and my experiences and the things that have happened to me, that there was a way that I needed to hear the gospel that was going to speak to me individually. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, so for all you teachers out there, as I used to be, you, you may realize that, that God was the uh, author of differentiated instruction, that uh, he knew that there was a way that each one of us needed to learn. And so uh, I thought that was interesting this week. Uh, but how amazing is it that we have had the gospel explained, people have had the gospel explained to them in different ways so that they could know, come to know about the same Jesus. And we're going to, in just a moment, look at some of those examples from the very beginning of, of how that happened. Each of you probably uh, that have accepted that probably heard the gospel in a different way. Uh, you may have heard it from a pastor or a teacher or a friend or, or your parents. Uh, a lot of us came to the gospel in, in, in tons of different places and ways. But ultimately, uh, that message, the finish of that message came to be the same. Uh, I do want to, for you to hear me closely before we go any further, though. When I say that there is a different way to explain the gospel, I do not mean that there is more than one way to be saved. There is only one way to be saved. Acts 4.12 tells us that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no, no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, and that is Jesus. But there is one, more than one way to explain that, okay? And we're going to kind of work through that. I'm going to show you in Acts uh, that this is true in the Bible from the very beginning of the New Testament church. Okay, as after Jesus has been resurrected and the New Testament church begins in Acts, uh, from that very moment, there are opportunities for different men of God to explain the gospel differently to different people. So the gospel goes out immediately. Uh, we'll look, and you don't have to turn there if you don't like, but if you want to follow along with me, we're in Acts chapter 7. Stephen, uh, a man of God, it says, gets into a crazy situation uh, to explain the gospel. He is unjustly seized and brought before the Sanhedrin, which we know to be a, a kind of a Jewish court. And he's brought before these le Jewish leaders, and they accuse him of uh, saying that Jesus is going to destroy the temple and he's going to change the laws of Moses. Now remember, these are the very laws that these Jews say that they trust in, that they've put their faith in. So this is very important to them. So important, they're going to bring a man uh, who they hope to kill before this court. And so Stephen is brought before this court unjustly, hasn't done anything wrong. And instead of doing what I would do and say, I haven't done anything, leave me alone, this is, this is ridiculous. He sees it as an opportunity uh, to share the gospel. 
And so what he does from his one accusation that they make against him in Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches the gospel to these stubborn Jews the way that they need to hear it. Now, this wouldn't be as effective for me, but it was effective for them. He said it the way they needed to hear it. Stephen, from that, launches into an explanation of the gospel that starts and says that the, the plan of God to send Jesus was the plan all along. And it has been the plan all the way since back of Father Abraham. These Jews looked at him as the father of their nation. They understood him clearly. So he goes all the way back to Abraham. And then he moves from Abraham and he talks about uh, Isaac and Jacob and and Joseph going to Egypt and, and Moses being there too. And even goes all the way up to David and Solomon. And he just goes through the whole breadth of the Old Testament and tells about uh, what happened and how the whole time the Israelites are rebelling against God. They're rebelling against God. And when they do, uh, they, they rebel against him so much that they continue to do it even to that day. And they rebelled against him and betrayed the very Messiah that they said that they were waiting on. And so he uses that whole thing and explains the gospel from the very beginning. And uh, ultimately, the people did not respond super favorably that day. But Paul, known as Saul then, was there that day. And I believe that a seed was planted in his mind that Jesus would later water. But the important thing for us today is, and the explanation I'm trying to give you, is that Stephen, a man who's about to be stoned to death, okay? He's about to be stoned to death, but he took the hand that he was dealt and explained the gospel clearly. Now, typically, when I explain the gospel, when I have that opportunity and I take that opportunity, I do not start with Abraham and I don't talk about Joseph and Moses and Egyptians and uh, the Israelites being in slavery. That's not where I begin when I explain the gospel to somebody typically. But that's what had to happen on that day for those particular people because that's the way that they need to hear it. And God knew it and Stephen knew it. Uh, Later in Acts chapter 8, Philip... Uh, a great dude who was impressive and well-spoken and super handsome. You can tell all that just by his name. Uh, He is uh, led down the road, and on his way, he meets an Ethiopian eunuch uh, who is reading a random passage in Isaiah that he can't understand. He's reading that passage, and Philip asks him about it, and he begins with that passage explaining how Jesus is the Lamb of God that's from those verses, that that Jesus came to be a sacrifice for us. And he explains the gospels particularly to this Ethiopian eunuch in the way that he needed to hear it and in a timely manner, the way that it had to be done right then. Uh, Philip took what he had, he read the room, and he used his opportunity that day to explain the gospel. Uh, Again, I'll tell you that Isaiah 53 verses 7 and 8 are not typically where I start a gospel conversation with somebody, okay? That may be something that I know, but it doesn't seem very relevant to somebody else. That's not where I start. Uh, But that day, he used what he had because God had a message that day for that one Ethiopian eunuch. We often say that here, that God cares about the one. We use it as a hashtag. We talk about it a lot here that we are praying for our just one more, that we are praying for them. We're looking for opportunities to share the gospel with one more person that we want to be specific with so that they'll come to a saving faith in Jesus because we know how good that is. And so uh, but we want to make that uh, real in our life. We want to share the gospel. And so I'm trying to show you that there are different ways to do that. Remember, Jesus himself said that that was important. 
He said that a, a good shepherd would leave the 99 to go after the one. And so that one person was so important to Jesus. And uh, that's still the, the same today. Uh, once more, there's one, uh, there's, there's one more time in Acts in chapter 17. As you move along, we've been reading Acts and, uh, and staff meeting for quite a while. There's 28 chapters, and we read every week one chapter. And so we, you can tell we've been over there for almost a little over half a year, and we've just finished it up. But this, this chapter kind of struck me, it was, and it was crazy. Uh, but Paul is in that chapter, and they have taken him to Athens, Greece. And in Athens, the great thinkers of the world and philosophers are there, and they are very religious but they don't know about our great God. And because they're very religious, what is happening with them is they are, they've built all these monuments and altars and statues of gods that they have created in their minds. They've, they've got the God of the sun and the God of the moon and the God of love and the God of this and the God of that. And they've got all these um, set out, but they don't think that they know everything. And so they think that there is a possibility that there's a God that they don't know about, and they don't want to offend that God. So they set up an altar for an unknown God. They say this is an altar and a statue to an unknown God and because uh, they, they don't want to miss out on anybody and don't want to offend anybody. And so Paul steps into this situation in Athens into obviously a, a different situation than what he's normal, normally in. And he's brought before these great philosophers, uh, and he says... He uses what he's got, and he says, this unknown God that you say that you worship, that is the God. This God that is unknown to you is the God. He's the one that created you. He's the one that created everything. And he doesn't need a man-made temple like you're creating here. He uh, made this anyway. He doesn't need that for himself. And he's calling everybody now unto repentance uh, because they're be due to be judged by Jesus. Uh, so he talks to him about that, and he says that you're going to be judged by Jesus, whom God had already raised from the dead. And so God had a word that day that was specific for these Greek philosophers. Okay, I'm not a Greek philosopher. They wouldn't need that to use that to talk to me, but that was specific for that day. Isn't it amazing how different these three gospel messages are? The same gospel, ultimately, that's presented from a different starting point. Um, so before we get into our primary scripture today that I want to look at in Ephesians 2, and that's in that explanation of the gospel, I want us to take a moment to realize how important our personal testimony can be and how different that can be on a day-to-day. -day. A person who has heard the gospel hundreds of times may hear it differently from you. Uh, so it's our responsibility in our conversations and what we know about to share that message but share it differently. Because the gospel is for everybody. It's for uh, the rich man. It's for the man who's just getting by. It's for uh, the tired mom. It's for the high school graduate who doesn't know, you know, what they're going to do with their life yet. And who better than to share that gospel with them than people who have already walked that life through the Spirit and have come out of the, on the other side uh, knowing how good God has been to them, knowing uh, how the gospel has changed them and helped them deal with those situations in their life. And it, obviously, so far, my sermon is not particularly towards Father's Day. Okay, it is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you guys out there. But uh, inside of that idea that the gospel can share it in different ways, I heard a story last week. We, uh, in our study with the students, we watched a video, and there was a young pastor, uh, 
and he, I say young, he's my age, I'm getting older, he, he was talking and he was saying when he was 17 years old that he had learned, he had been in church and he had learned to be a, a great kid and he had learned to do what was necessary for everybody to appear to be a great kid. So he was a leader of all these clubs and he was, he was on this team and he did all these extra things and he appeared to be a great kid. And one day he got involved with a, a wrong crowd and he was doing something he wasn't supposed to be doing. So he uh, was, was out one night and they destroyed some property. They had done some graffiti and things like that. And they, they even stole some credit cards and ran those. And, you know, just obviously super silly, stupid, juvenile stuff. And as he was involved in that, um, of course, they got found out. He got arrested that evening. His parents had to come pick him up from the jail uh, and brought him home. And on the way home, he gets these messages from all these different people about how disappointed they were. He got these leadership positions at his school taken away, his leadership position at his church. And um, his girlfriend uh, even told him that his, her parents would, wouldn't allow him to come to their house anymore, so they were going to have to break up. And all this terrible stuff happened. And the whole weight of that guilt and shame about that one event, that one night where he had made all these mistakes, all of that was weighing on him. And so when he got home, he went straight to his room as his parents told him to, and he, he just sat there and he waited. And he knew that his dad was going to come in. And when his dad came in, uh, things were going to go bad. You know, like any of us would expect, he knew. He wasn't ignorant to that, that he had done wrong. This, he was going to deserve whatever happened next. So he was waiting on his dad to come in. He knew it was going to be bad. But his dad came in, and he said his dad was crying. He can't remember his dad ever crying like that. And he said, in the middle of this weight and guilt and shame that I had, my dad shared a Bible verse with me, and he said, I can't even remember the Bible verse. I have no idea, because I was so upset too. But when he was done reading the verse, he gave me a hug, and he said, I want you to know that there is absolutely nothing you could ever do that would stop me from loving you. And when he told him that, his dad walked out of the room and he didn't add, didn't add any punishment. He knew that his son had already had the weight and the guilt and there's all the punishment in the world on him right then. But as he told him that, he said, I understood the gospel for the first time. I don't know the verse that he shared with me, but I knew that my God loved me in that way and that there was nothing that I could do to separate myself from him. That I had been saved and that was secure in the same way that I was unconditionally loved by my earthly father but that's the way that my God loved me too. And so that day, the gospel was shared with that man's son in a way that made sense to him for the first time. The same message that the kid who had been in church his entire life had heard finally stuck, struck true with him and was, uh, he was secure in that and understood it for the first time. So hear me on this. The gospel is for everybody and it's timely. And somebody is walking this earth right now that needs to hear it the way that you would say it. Uh, each gospel story ends with repentance and the power of Jesus' blood to save us from our sins. Uh, but the beginning of each personal story is different. And if your story is not shared, um, you'll never know the impact that it could have in an individual's life. So I want you to stick with me on this. Is it possible that there is someone out there that could hear your story? Your road to being redeemed, your road to being restored to your Savior in relationship with Him that could be changed because of your story? The Holy Spirit's going to do the work on that, but we have to be uh, ready and responsible to be the vessels for that and what a blessing that can be for us. Um, so the first thing we have to do is look for those opportunities, be like Philip was. He was stirred by the Spirit. 
And God gave him an opportunity immediately on the road. And so, uh, and you think about that, Stephen himself, he, gave, he was given an opportunity. As he was being stoned to death, he took an opportunity. Um, Philip did that same thing. Paul, he used a statue to talk about, uh, to talk about the gospel. So I think I've established this morning that there are different ways of sharing and explaining the gospel. But this morning, I want to take a moment to share that version from Ephesians that when I was 19 years old made sense to me, that, I, that, that God did something to me that, that, that cracked my spirit, convicted my heart, and made me, made me understand for the first time what the gospel truly means. So looking back at Ephesians in chapter 2, uh, we'll just hop into it. I'm not going to reread it, but I want to take that kind of verse by verse and explain what that did to me. Paul sends a letter to the church at Ephesus. And in chapter 2, he jumps right into the explanation of the gospel. In verse 1, Paul just goes for it. He says, you were dead. You were dead. It reminds me of a book I used to teach, uh, uh, really a, an extended short story. Uh, when I was first teaching, I taught uh, eighth grade English. Uh, uh, Kelsey, Randy's daughter, was in eighth grade then. That's been about the timeline. And when she, she was in that, uh, in that grade, we were teaching a Christmas carol. And in that story, it begins with these words. It says, Marley was dead. There could be no doubt whatsoever about that. And it starts that way. And then for a whole nother page, it talks exclusively about the deadness of Marley, that he was dead as a doornail. And it explains that I don't know what particularly is dead about a doornail, why that's used as an explanation, but he was dead. And he keeps going on and on so that we are sure that Marley was dead. And he does that so that later on, Scrooge's partner, Marley, Scrooge is the main character, his partner, Marley, when he shows up, you're to know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Remember, Marley was dead, but now he's alive somehow. This should be shocking to us. So when you read that for the first time, you know that Marley is a ghost, and it should shock me that he's in this story because he was dead. Paul is going for that same angle right from the very beginning of chapter 2. He tells us... Uh, that we are dead. When I tell you that you were dead in sin, I mean it, you were dead. And there's this thing about dead people is that they have no ability to reanimate themselves. You cannot make yourself not dead. You cannot do that for yourself. Uh, a dead man cannot bring himself back to life. If you are dead, you cannot do anything about it. You got to have an outside force to try to help you with that. You know, if, uh, if I had a, a heart attack right here, right now, and I was laying out, the paramedics would show up, or hopefully one of you guys will come up, and immediately we'd start some chest compressions, right? And you'd put some outside force on me to try to get my heart back going. And if that started to work a little bit, you might put another outside force. You might try to blow air in my lungs, okay? And we'd get that going, put another outside force. And if that didn't work, you'd go get the defibrillator, and you'd come put that those pads on my chest and you'd try to shock me back to my heart, back into rhythm. But all that you would use outside force trying to reanimate me and get me back to life. But the person laying there, in that case me, has no ability to do that for him or herself. Can't do it. Cannot uh, make yourself alive. You, you can't put the defibrillators on yourself. You can't uh, do chest compressions. You cannot do that to yourself. Uh, when you are dead. Uh, 
And so, but ultimately, uh, you can't do that for yourselves. But so it should be shocking to know that, in, that Paul says in verse 5 that even though that you were dead in sin, that Jesus makes you alive. An outside force. Jesus himself has the power and the ability to make you alive. You were dead, but Jesus can make you alive, as it says in verse 5. The problem is, is that if you were like me when I was 19 and before, is that you don't believe that you are dead in sin. Okay, that's not a description we use for ourselves. I know that I sure didn't. I didn't know that I was, as verse 2 says, following the devil and the cravings of my own flesh. Uh, and I certainly did not believe what verse 3 says, that I was deserving of wrath. Okay, this is not a descriptor that I like. I do not uh, want to think of myself uh, that way if I was deserving of wrath. And I just did not think about myself that way. I thought that, there, that somehow I could right the ship. There, there was an opportunity somewhere for me to be right with God. I was not ignorant to the fact that I had sinned. I was not perfect. I knew that. All of us know that in our hearts that, you know, we mess up, you make mistakes, you, you lie, you think bad things. You, I knew, never thought that I was sinless or anything like that or perfect. However, I felt like that I could right the ship somehow by continuing to do more and more good works, that I could just do better or be better or go to church more and I could be right with God, that I could curry his favor and somehow fix my relationship by him, with him by just being better. Uh, because after all, I'm a good person. You know, at that point, I did what good people do. I obeyed my parents and followed the law and I was obsessive about my grades and tried to make those perfect. And um, I worked hard. You know, all the stuff that your parents have told you to do to be good, I tried to do. And so, after all, I thought that I was a good person. But Paul made it, makes it clear that I had sinned and that I was deserving of wrath. And furthermore, that I was dead. And what can a dead person do to rectify their sin? Nothing. But God, it says in verse 4, because of his great love for me and because even though I was deserving of wrath, he is rich in mercy, it says in verse 4, and he doesn't give me what I deserve. He said that I deserve wrath but that's not what I get. Because of that great love, he sent his son in order to give me a new life, to make me alive. And I couldn't do that on my own. Uh, he gives me new life so that I can have relationship with him, that that relationship can be restored and right and beautiful in the way that it was intended. And this is where uh, I just did not understand this as a kid, even though I was a church kid. Verse 6 and 7 explain that the reason he's done all this is so that I can understand the incomparable kindness of him. That I can understand the incomparable kindness of Christ Jesus. That I can be in heaven with him in the coming ages. And that I can restore my relationship with him. Uh, that's what I was missing when I was seven years old, okay? I'll just, probably some of you have this, a similar story to what I'm about to say. But when I was that age... Uh, I went to a VBS, and there was a well-meaning pastor who explained the gospel. And I, have, I walked the aisle that week, and I did what he said. Okay? And, and what he said that struck me when I was seven years old, uh, and again, I know uh, it's a man that I respect and love now, and, uh, and obviously uh, has said it in, in a lot of great ways, too, and explained the gospel in, in great ways. But that week, what made sense to me uh, was that he explained how hell was an awful place. 
It is a, a place where the Bible says that there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And when I was seven years old, that sounded terrible. It's still terrible. But when I was seven, it scared me terribly. Okay, And so when I heard that, it didn't matter what he said after that. Whatever he said, I was going to do. Whatever it took for me not to be here, but to be in heaven, it didn't matter what that was. We were going to sign up for that. Where's the paper? Okay, And so I did the whole thing. I, did, I admitted that I did the ABCs. I admitted that I was a sinner, I, I, that I was going to believe in God, that I was going to commit my life to him. I was going to do all that. And so, uh, but what I did there is the focus and the emphasis was on the running away from hell. And I didn't understand at seven years old that the focus and emphasis shouldn't be on me running away from something bad and terrible, but running to something towards that is good and perfect, a reconciled relationship with a holy God who loves me. And if I would have known that, if I would have put the emphasis on that when I was seven years old, then I would have been pushed towards good works, like it says in verse 10. 10. The emphasis of my life would have been that I would have continued in good works, that I was created in advance for me to do. But instead, what I had received was a get out of hell free card. Now I can live however I want to live because I've already got security that I'm not going to this terrible place that I know that I want to avoid. But because the emphasis is placed there, that's the way that I felt about it. Okay, that there's nothing more for me to do that's over with. But if the emphasis is placed on my reconciled relationship with a holy God, now I say, well, how do I live in response to this? How do I live now? Because God lives in me. The scripture talks about how the Christ dwells in us, that Christ is in us. And there's no way for me to be the same, if that is true. If that happens in my life, if the Holy Spirit comes into my life, Christ lives in me, I cannot be the same anymore. And so uh, that when, when he does that, I understand that Jesus has bought me with a price, that I'm no longer my own, I am his I'm no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. So when Jesus comes in my life, I can't be the same. And if that had been the focus when I was seven years old, it would have changed a lot for me, I'm telling you. And so, uh, but that wasn't the focus in my life. And so the avoidance of hell should not be the primary emphasis of being saved. It's being reconciled to a God who loves you. But praise God, a great benefit of me becoming in a relationship with a God who loves me is that I can avoid that eternal separation from him. And I can be in heaven. That is a wonderful, awesome hope for the future that I love. But avoiding that hell shouldn't be the emphasis. It should be in that relationship with God. And so as I work towards wrapping up here, I want to take a moment to explain verses 8 and 9 inside of that. And if there's two verses in the Bible that that are, are more personal to me than any other that's these. Um, verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And here's what got me. Not by works so that no one can boast. Not by works. Man, I'm telling you, when I was 19 years old and still today, that sat on me in a way that I had never experienced before. Uh, I can't deserve salvation and reconciliation with God. There's no list of accomplishments that I can acquire to get me there. God needed to tell me that specifically. As we talked about earlier, that there's a specific message for each of us. That was what sat on me. That's what I needed to hear. I needed to hear that it didn't matter that I worked hard or that 
I was a valedictorian of 35 people or that I made all states in the sports that I played or that I felt like I was the kid that you wanted your daughter to date or if I was going and my friends had something, wanted to do something, their parents would let them go if they were going with me because if I went, they knew there weren't going to be any uh, crazy shenanigans going on. Okay, and I was proud of that and, and I had built a life and a reputation based on what I thought to be good works. And so I, that whole life I thought, all right, I'm building this stack of accomplishments and, and, and good works. And, and I, yeah, yes, I got sin, but like this stack is bigger than this stack and that's what I'm trying to do here. And so when God told me that it had nothing to do with what I had done my entire life at all, that all those accomplishments didn't mean anything, that as Paul said, that they were rushish, rubbish, that my uh, righteousness was as filthy rags, when I understood that for the first time, it set on me that the only thing that I have valuable that I can offer God is my faith in his son. He said, by God's grace that I have been saved through faith, faith alone, not my accomplishments, not anything that I've done. I was dead in sin, but I always felt like, and maybe you've been here, that if I just did a little bit better, tried a little harder, then I could be right with God. But it isn't like that. Any sin that I had separated me from God. I didn't understand the root of the problem that I had. Okay, I understood the symptoms. I had sin. I was, again, I was not ignorant to that. I had sin, but I did not understand the root of the problem. Uh, you got to fix that root. Trying to work harder to do good things couldn't fix it. It's like uh, if I worked out constantly, okay, if I had, if I, y'all know who The Rock is, okay, if I'd had his, uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, if I had his, uh, discipline and I worked out the way that he does and I lifted the heavy weights that he does and I got after it and, and, and did all the cardio that was necessary. If I did all of that, the way that he did it, but I had a Buddy the Elf diet. Anybody ever seen the movie Elf, the Christmas movie Elf? He says that his diet uh, was, uh, was part of the four main food groups. He ate from the four main food groups. He, he ate candy canes, candy, sugar, and syrup. Four main food groups, he said. Now, if my diet was that diet, but I worked out as hard as I possibly could, I still would feel like trash and look like trash, okay? I would never, they would never help me to work out that much because uh, I could never get there. That's the same thing with my good works. There's no amount of good deeds that can fix my sin problem. The root of my problem is that I am dead in sin. I've got to fix that part first, and only through Jesus can I do that. Just like my, my problem would be my diet and not my working out. I can't fix it by dealing with just the symptoms. I've got to fix the root of the problem. All right, I've got one more story, and I hope this makes sense to you. It's a personal story that li literally happened to me in this past week. Uh, we are fortunate uh, at my house to share what amounts to a blueberry farm with my in-laws who are here, my father-in-law's here today. Uh, and we, we share this blueberry farm. We've got nearly 100 bushes uh, that produce a lot. We can't pick them all. There's, we, we're all working out there every day trying to pick as many gallons of blueberries as we can, but uh, there is a ton of them. And it is a, a wonderful thing that we have and get to have. But uh, I also love those blueberries. And I've been eating oatmeal in the mornings. Y'all don't make fun. It's good for you. And in the morning, first thing I do when I wake up, I'll put my coffee on, I'll put the oatmeal in the microwave, and I'll go outside, and I'm going to pick about 20 to 25 of the best blueberries that I can find. Okay, and because I'm super tall, and no one else in my family is, I get to reach the ones that are up top, and they grow big there before anybody picks them, and so I get 
the nicest ones that I can find, okay? And so the other day I went out there and I was doing this and I picked out about 20 or 25 of the biggest, I'm talking about quarter size, lush, what I knew to be sweet, blueberries, just, they, I mean, really, really nice ones. And I got a, a whole handful of them, okay? And so I've got all these in my hand and they start to tempt me pretty bad. I, I think I'm just going to go inside and put them in my oatmeal, but I decide that I can't wait. I'm just going to eat these. So this makes me a bad picker, by the way. But I uh, put all those in my hand, and I decide I'm just going to eat these. And I'm out there by myself, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. So I put every single one of them in my mouth, out there by myself. And as I get them in my mouth, I take the first bite, and I just crunch down and it is exactly what I anticipated. It is so sweet. It is so delicious. It is the perfect bite, you know? And, and it is great. And I uh, to go ahead and move some of those in my mouth because it's so full. I kind of sort of just swatch those around. And I take the bite of the second one. I take the second bite. And as I do that, I get the most bitter, sour, nasty taste in my mouth all at once. And of course, First thing I do once I get that taste is, Puh! and I spit all those wonderful blueberries out with this one bad one. Because what I realized that one bad one, that one sour, bitter, nasty one, was enough to ruin the whole batch of those beautiful, wonderful, quarter-sized, sweet blueberry. And that's the way our sin does us. Our sin, one, it don't matter what it is, separates us from a God who loves us. And there's only one way to be reconciled for that. There's no amount of good deeds I can do for that. If I had put 50 more blueberries in my mouth that were good, I still would have had the taste of that one sour one. There would be no, no, no amount that could have recovered that, in, re recovered that in my mouth. Okay, it was over with. It was sour, it was nasty, I had to get rid of it. That's the way our sin is. That one sin separates us from a God who loves us. And the only way to be reconciled to that is to have, uh, to be reconciled to a perfect God is through a perfect Jesus. There's no amount of good deeds that I can stack up, stack up, stack up, continue to do good, do better, do better, be at church more, do this, do that, you know, respect my parents, whatever. There's no amount of that that can fix this sin problem that I have. The only thing that can fix that sin problem is my perfect Jesus so that I can be reconciled with a perfect God. And so, I don't know if that makes sense to you or not. You know, I told you that there's a day for everybody. There's a way of explaining the gospel that makes sense to you. Uh, and, but today, there may be one of you out there that that made sense to for the first time. Maybe you've been working hard and you feel like you're a good person and you've done all the necessary steps and you work hard at trying to do right. But you know that you're not perfect. Maybe that said something to you today. And so if it is, I pray that you do business with the Lord. If you need to speak with me, I'll be glad to. If you're more comfortable with Adam when he gets back this week, we'll set that up. Uh, but whatever it is, you can do business with the Lord because you can speak directly to him. Uh, and so if you need to do that this morning, I pray that you do. Maybe this morning for the first time you realize that uh, God has convicted you that, that there has been an opportunity for you to share your faith with somebody else just in daily conversation and you want to be more faithful to do that. Whatever your business is for the Lord, I pray that you do that as our guys come up to pray. Uh, but I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll sing. Dear God, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you that, uh, that you loved us so much that you sent your son.
that to give us a way back to you, to reconcile us into relationship with you because you do love us so much. I thank you that I can have that relationship with you, that it, there was nothing that I can do to earn that or deserve it, uh, but you did it anyway because you are good. And God, I, I thank you that uh, you've shown that mercy to us. And God, I just pray for the person here this morning that maybe for the first time heard that word in a way that made sense. And God, I know that our scenario is different, that, that things look different here at the church, but we understand that we can come to you at any time, that today is the day of salvation for somebody, that they can come directly to you recognizing that they are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you will be that Savior. So we thank you for that. And if that's true for somebody this morning, I pray that they do their business with you. And God, if, if uh, there's somebody here that recognizes that, uh, that you've called them because you, you live in them, that, that you dwell in them, that you've called them to be more faithful, to uh, share your gospel, and to talk with people directly about what you've done, uh, then I pray that they'll do that as well. So just uh, convict our hearts and allow us to do what you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you for listening to this message and the podcast today. Uh, We hope that you were encouraged and edified by the message. If you have questions, uh, we encourage you to visit us at gloryfellowship.org.